You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Three minutes to go in the game. San Francisco 20. Kansas City 17. Third down goal to go at the five. Williams, the running back to the left of Mahomes. Now they bring Tyree Kill in motion with it. They fake to him. Throw right side. Caught by Williams at the right pylon. Touchdown, Kansas City. Andy Reid dials up a brilliant play. A fake to Tyree Kill and then Damian Williams across the face of the defense. Kansas City regains the lead at 2.44 to go in Super Bowl 54. That's Mitch Holtis. He's the voice, the radio play-by-play voice of the Kansas City Chiefs for a long time now. That uh, that call, uh, touchdown Kansas City, we've heard many times um, over the years. If you go back and listen to it, and you can do that right now by just you know rewinding it 15 seconds, listen to the beginning of that call and tell me that he doesn't sound a little bit like Steve Buckhantz. I didn't pick that up earlier um, on the radio show, but he sounds in normal voice before it elevates and gets excited. Sounds like sounds exactly like Buck. Um, good uh, morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. Aaron's here. I'm here. Cooley's going to join us, I think, later on in the show. Um, we'll get his thoughts on Super Bowl 54. It was a very good football game, certainly an entertaining game, an exciting game, a memorable game. Uh, but I actually think there was parts of it that really ultimately conspired together, the 49ers to a certain point, and the referees to give the Chiefs an opportunity that I don't know that they really deserved there. But they took advantage of it, and they were very good, scoring 21 unanswered over the final 6 minutes, 13 seconds to win Super Bowl 54. Uh, I'm going to get to the Alex Smith interview, too, on this show after we go through all of the Super Bowl stuff. If you missed Alex Smith with Jeremy Schapp on Outside the Line Saturday morning, oh, my God. Uh, he was close to dying and losing his leg. Um, it was uh, quite the ordeal that he went through. But we start with the biggest question following Super Bowl 54. Shakira or J-Lo? I gave Shakira the edge by a field goal. Um, I just thought she looked great. She, I, I'm not a big uh, sort of expert when it comes to her discography. Uh, or the set list that she plays live. I, I know some of the songs. I've heard some of the songs. Um, but damn, is she good looking. <laughs> really good looking. So is J-Lo. She's beautiful too. But I would give Shakira the nod on the halftime show, Aaron. Yeah, I'm with you. You are with me? Yes. It seemed I put out a tweet saying right after halftime, I said, Shakira by a field goal. And it seemed like more people agreed than disagreed. They were both outstanding. I had a caller call earlier on this show. And he said, sorry, but I don't want to be aroused during the (laughs) Super Bowl. And he said during halftime, he said he was drawing up plays for the second half with his friends. Like, I'm sorry, you're doing what? You're drawing up plays? Um, Look, in the history of these halftime shows, I think personally it starts and ends with Prince in Miami. Um, That was the greatest halftime show. The U2 show... 
this is all a matter of personal taste, personal perspective. It's very subjective. Um, it, it's based on the music you like and whether or not you like to be, you know, you can look past the music sometimes to identify a great performer. Like Bruno Mars was terrific. I'm not a massive fan of Bruno Mars necessarily, but I understand the talent and he was great. I am an all-time fan of Prince. He was great. U2 was great the year of, of 9-11, the Super Bowl that followed 9-11. That was such a an emotional day in the Superdome when the Patriots beat the Rams for what turned out to be the, the beginning of a, of a dynasty for the Patriots. I thought Petty was great. I thought The Who was good. Um, you know, I, that's my sort of speed. That's what I'm looking for. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not into 57-year-old Madonna or however old she was when she performed. And I'm not a big you know, connoisseur of the Shakira, you know, uh, music, uh, uh, list, uh, but they both looked great and they're both great performers and they both can sing. I was entertained by the halftime show. I was, I, I I'm with you at some point. It's just about being entertained. And over the past decade, with the exception of Bruno Mars, generally they haven't been all that entertaining. Right. I was entertained by this one. Um, you know, I don't have a list of the, uh, uh, I mean, I'd have to go back and look. Prince was like t- Prince was two thousand seven. 2007. So yeah, I mean, that's that's the the start, as you said, the start finish. I'd also throw MJ in '93 in that list as well as a close second. Probably. I was I was at that one. Were you? That was Bills Cowboys, the first of their back to back Super Bowls in Pasadena, and I was at that game in the Rose Bowl. Um, just quick story: we were in Vegas. The intention was to be in Vegas that weekend for the Super Bowl, but. Your boy got on a roll, um, a big roll, uh, at the card tape, play, playing playing blackjack, actually. Um, and literally, our casino marketing host, who we'd gotten to be very close with at that point, and this was at, in 93, it, we were probably at the Mirage. I think we were staying at the Mirage. I don't think it was the Venetian in 93. The Venetian ended up being a, a place we spent a lot of time at. But anyway... Um, One of the guys in the group had asked earlier of our casino marketing host if if she had any if if there were any Super Bowl tickets and Aaron she had said no and she said no we don't have anything left sorry guys and anyway I got on a roll and won some money like some real money playing blackjack and this is the God's honest truth my friends will attest to this story it was one of those situations Aaron. Playing blackjack, I'm already winning a lot of money, and I had a large wager on the hand, and I got dealt two eights against a six, split them, got a third eight, split them again, got a fourth eight, got a three on the first one, doubled down jack, got a two on the second one, doubled down ace, got a three on the third one, doubled down jack, and then got like a queen on the last one. And then they flipped jack six, one card bust. I won every single hand and three double downs for a ridiculous amount of money. I'll I'll tell you this. The wagers had gotten to the point where I basically, when I got to that double down on the third, I had to just say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, stop. Uh, I want to double down on this one. And I didn't have enough in front of me. Right. So I had to get more credit and take Mm -hmm. out more, you know, money. And then put the double down bet on that, which it paid off on. And I swear to God, when that hand was over, 
the casino marketing host came over and said, um, Kevin, how many do you need for tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> and so I looked around, I said, who wants to go? And there were like six of us that decided. And I said, six. And she goes, I think I, I think I can figure it out. And so we ended up with six tickets. It turned out eight of us wanted to go, um, and she couldn't get the other two. So somebody they came anyway and figured it out. But we were at that Super Bowl, that Super Bowl Bills Cowboys, where Michael Jackson was the halftime performer. My seats were in the Buffalo Bills section, as it turned out. I remember we had six tickets, and they were like like they were basically four and two. I think there were four of us that sat in the Bills section, and two sat in like the Cowboys section. But he was great. MJ was great in that 93 Super Bowl where the Cowboys, it was disappointing. Obviously, I was rooting for the Bills to beat the Cowboys in that Super Bowl. Here, I've got the list. Um, Lady Gaga was pretty good. She was solid, absolutely. Bruno Mars, I forgot. Beyonce and Coldplay were part of that. I don't even remember that portion of it. Um, Bruno Mars was talented. Did he do... Did you do it twice? I feel like he was part of two. Because didn't wasn't the first one with the Red Hot... Or who was with the Red Hot Chili Peppers? It was Bruno Mars. Yeah. You're right. So that was two years prior to that. Yeah. And Katy Perry was in between. And I remember being at that Super Bowl. Was that the Scottsdale Super Bowl? I forget. The uh, Phoenix Super Bowl? I forget if it was or not. Yeah. Might have been the California Super Bowl. No, because she... Wait, who started on the roof of it? Huh? Who started on the those Lady Gaga who started on the roof of the stadium or whatever? Right. Yeah. A- anyway, so when you attend the Super Bowl as as a media person, especially on Radio Row, which is where we were every year, um, on the Friday before Super Bowl weekend, midday, the halftime performer holds a press conference. And sometimes we'll play a short set list for Mm -hmm. the media. The Who did it, and it was an acoustic set, and it was unbelievable. Um, Katy Perry, we I I forget who was with me now. Um, We walked up there, and we watched the press conference, and (laughs) she... She was she was quite entertaining as a press conference guest, and she she actually really was very um, uh, she she was attractive in person uh, up front um, up uh, up front and close. And it, it was the guy the guy that conducted the interview is the guy that used to be on CNN and now is on Entertainment Tonight. He was the sports guy, Kevin. What's that guy's last name? You know who I'm talking about? The guy who was the entertainment reporter for E. Or maybe it's seen. I, I don't. He used to be a sports guy. And, Kevin Frazier. Kevin Frazier. See, I'm glad I just pulled that because if I didn't pull it, I would be paying attention more to that Google ad that was so depressing during the game about memory yeah. loss. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I'm glad I was there. Kevin Frazier did the interview with Katy Perry that year, and it was actually highly entertaining. I actually think he's very talented. Anyway, Beyonce didn't do much for me. She's gorgeous. The Madonna, she was you know too old. Uh, Black Eyed Peas, um, that wasn't very good, no. although Usher was uh, good. Usher was really good the other night. Did you see um, him singing uh, prior yes. to the Kobe yes, game? Yes, I did. Uh, prior to the first Lakers game. The Who was excellent. Petty was good. Petty was great. God rest his soul. I didn't think much of the Who. Um, I, I thought it was fine, but it, they were a little bit off, maybe. But I don't yeah. know. That acoustic set that we saw um, on that Friday was phenomenal. Um, I, I don't really remember Springsteen uh, in two thousand nine. It, it was just one of those. It was fine. The Stones were decent. Uh, see, the, kind of the Stones, Who, and uh, Springsteen. I, I always just I, they, they were fine for yeah. what they were. They're not what you want to see out of a halftime show, though. <sighs> 
yeah. What started, I mean, if you go back prior to like the 2000s, there was a whole lot of, you know, up with people and tapestry of nations mm-hmm. and different things. Marching and, bands and stuff. Well, that you got to go way back for that. And not that far. But I feel like they were still doing. I mean, my MJ's in 93. Right. So Gloria Stefan was the halftime entertainment Minneapolis for the last Redskins Super Bowl. Yeah. Anyway, okay, enough of this. <laughs> Let's get to the game. Um, because there was a lot to this game, um, a lot to it. And I'm going to go through it sort of chronologically. Obviously, there's a lot of criticism of Kyle Shanahan today, and I've got some, definitely. Um, I was rooting for them. I was rooting for the 49ers. I picked the 49ers. We did get the under to come in, thankfully, for a smell test winner to finish up the season. Um, but there was a chance on that final play if Mahomes had thrown it inbounds to, I think it was Robinson, when he was trying to eat the final five seconds of the clock, if he had thrown it to him, no one was near him. San Francisco yeah. didn't cover him. Yeah. And that would have been just a backbreaker, 37 to 20 on and over. Um, but anyway, uh, I thought, I- I'm going to start with this. Pay attention. Here's Kevin's game day. Yeah, there we go. Last time for this particular football season. I hate when football season's over, but uh, we got a lot to talk about in the offseason. So the podcast will be a lot about what Ron Rivera and company are doing and what the Redskins are doing. Um, I'm going to start with this in the game take. The 49ers defense for three and a half quarters of that game was awesome. Awesome. To that point, you know, when they got that second interception and they were up 20 to 10, and it was looking very much like San Francisco was going to win the Super Bowl, I kept thinking to myself, wow, this is one of the better defenses we have ever seen. You know, what they've done to this guy, Patrick Mahomes, in this game is incredible. Like we talked about it leading up to this game, we couldn't envision Mahomes being completely held in check. And that's exactly where he was in check. 10 points, and Mahomes in the midst of the worst game of his career. Before that third and 15 completion to Tyreek Hill, 10 points, Mahomes was 19-32 for 183 yards. It was 5.7 yards per attempt. His passer rating was 49.4. The most dangerous quarterback we've seen in many years in the league, and the hottest quarterback, was on a lockdown. It was the worst performance for Mahomes as a pro. But there were still seven minutes left in the game. The 49ers really were very close to being not the 85 Bears defensively okay or the 2000 Ravens, but really mentioned in the breath, um, in the same breath as some of the great defenses of all time. The 85 Bears to me are like a separate conversation. The 2000 Ravens are sort of a... You know, maybe a one notch below the bear separate. Co- and then, you know, you got the 77 Cowboys. You got some of those Steeler teams, the 2002 Bucks, the 2015 Broncos a little bit. But, man, the 49ers, one more stop, third and 15, and there they were on the cusp of being considered one of the great defenses of all time with a Super Bowl performance against a guy that had been unstoppable. And they stopped him. Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa was just incredible to watch. I tweeted this out after the game. If Todd McShay is right about Chase Young being better than both of the Bosas, then it's not even you know it's not even a debate. You take Chase Young 
because Nick Bosa was dominant last night. Do you know he had 11 pressures? 11! He was unblockable by one person, pretty much unblockable by two. He was held all night long, and on the game's biggest play, as it turned out, he was held again. He was hooked and held on that third and 15, and they missed the call. Or they chose not to flag it, which was sort of the theme of the night. They let him play. Vinovich and that crew let them play last night. Mahomes took some big shots. Garoppolo on a third and 14 in the fourth quarter, up 20 to 10, got hit on the sideline. Probably see that flagged, you know, more than 50% of the time during the regular season. They let him play. Bosa got hooked and held. And I think personally on that third and 15, even though they had let him play, you got to make that call. You know, he's turned loose on the quarterback. He's impacting the game all night long. And it turned out that was the play of the game. The play. Because it went from game over to game on. And Tyree Kill got loose, and it was a matter of time that Mahomes was going to find him. But on third and 15, I... Somebody sent me the win probability thing, which I never pay attention to. Um, the ESPN or whoever puts that out, Aaron, you might know the win probability thing. And it was like 95% plus yeah. for the 49ers at that point. Yeah. Look, it's only 20 to 10. You know, it's not it's not like even if the the Chiefs have to punt it there um after, say, a third and twenty-five stop if they call the hold, that they're completely out of it. You would you never count Mahomes out, obviously, but the 49ers were in complete control of the game. And my first takeaway from the game is just how close the 49ers defense was to, was to becoming all-time great. But they couldn't close it. They couldn't close it. And part of that is on their head coach. Not all of it, though. That's my next part, is Kyle. Um, at the end of the first half, uh, you know what? Before that, let me let me mention this because I'm gonna I'm gonna start with something positive about Kyle Shanahan and something that I think should have been instructive actually towards the end of the game. So at ten to three, Kansas City, San Francisco's got the ball back, and it's ten minutes to go in the second quarter, and everybody's thinking the same thing, right? It's like, well, they better score on this drive, right? You're down ten three already. You better score on this drive. Or it's going to be, you know, potentially Mahomes and the Chiefs up two scores. And at that point, with Garoppolo playing, you know, catch up, that could be problematic. And on the first play of that drive from their own 20-yard line, they handed the ball off to Mostert, who barely got back to the line of scrimmage and maybe made a half a yard. And then it's second and a long nine. And they handed the ball off to Mostert again. And if you, a lot of their run game was really to the edges you know, really stretching that defense to the edges. And Mostert picked up nine yards and a first down for San Francisco. This should have been instructive later in the game because they had a second and nine late in the game, up 20 to 10, and a second and five, uh, up 20 to 17, and they chose to pass. Now, one of those was checked. I'll get to that in a little bit. But what happened in between the second and nine and a half and the nine yard, nine and a half yard run for a first down was Troy Aikman. Were Troy Aikman and, and Joe Buck talking about how what a great job Kansas City's doing early here in the game against the run. 
similar to what they did against Derrick Henry in the AFC Championship game, which really for me was misleading, and I mentioned that two weeks ago. Derrick Henry wasn't really shut down by the Chiefs. He was more shut down by Tennessee and their play calling in the second half when they got down by two scores. Um, He just didn't have the opportunities in the second half of that championship game, and I think they bailed on him too early. Um, So right when that happens, Aaron, they've got the conversation going about Kansas City's good run defense. Mostert rips off nine. Then you had really it was a Debo Samuel run, even though it was a touch, you know, shotgun touch pass. It's called a pass, and you know, it's called a catch and run after the catch. But Samuel gets sixteen on that. Mostert rips off eleven on the next play. Tevin Coleman rips off seventeen on the next play, and then they go play action twice for you know a short one to Samuel and a touchdown pass to Usechek, and it's tied up at ten ten. I thought that showed big stones from Kyle on second and nine in a drive that you had to be feeling you had to get something on to stick with the run. And they ran it right down their throats until the play action worked at the end of the drive for the touchdown. And it's 10-10. So then let's get to the more critical part of of Kyle Shanahan um, and his coaching in the game yesterday. So The end of the first half was definitely a head-scratcher. But at the same time, I did consider his side of it. Because his side of it, and you're going to hear what he said here in a moment, was, we're 10-10, I don't want to give the ball back, we've been moving it, we moved it to tie the game pretty much on the ground, now i got to put the game on Garoppolo. I thought it was a clear indication that he was not confident in Garoppolo, moving them into field goal range or beyond with just his arm, you know, with just passing. That Garoppolo's got to be part of a balanced attack and that he was like, look, we're going to get the ball at the beginning of the third quarter. I'll go in 10-10. But he was even taking risk doing it that way because Kansas City still, with three timeouts, could have gotten the ball back. This is what he said about playing it super conservatively at the end of the first half. They had three timeouts. It was 10 to 10. Um, the last thing we were going to do was allow them to get the ball with three timeouts, especially with their quarterback and offensive speed, um, to go in there and score before half. Felt real good. Um, 10 to 10, especially with us starting with the ball. That was Kyle Shanahan um, after the game. So I know he feels like it was the right thing. And they did. They did in the second half take the ball down the field, kick a field goal, get a stop, and they were up 20 to 10 with seven minutes to go. This was pretty much a non conversation or looking to be a non conversation when they're up 20 to 10 with the ball, um, you know, with less than 10 minutes to go in the game on their way to a Super Bowl victory. But you can't think about that. You got to think about Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs, and how you need to score every single time you have a chance to score. And the possibility he had to go up two scores early in the third quarter, I would have played it more aggressively. And I think the big big opportunity was on the Chiefs' final third down play after the two-minute warning. Uh, they could have stopped the clock with a minute 48 to go with a timeout. The 49ers could have. They would have, after the punt, gotten it back with roughly, you know, call it a minute 37, minute 38, minute 39, somewhere in that neighborhood with two timeouts left from their own 20. 
Now, one thing that didn't get uh, talked about a little bit, and he didn't mention, and if he had said, look, they got a punter who's pretty good, and um, I didn't think that we were going to get the ball back at the 20. I thought there was a much better chance, given where they were punting it from at the 50-yard line, that we were going to get it back inside our 10-yard line, which, you know, on that punt, Aaron... The uh, Chiefs had an opportunity with that guy Pringle was his last name. He has the ball in the end zone, and he bobbles it trying to throw it back out of the end zone. If he just makes a clean play on that, the ball's at the one-yard line. And Kyle then would you know be thinking about, let's just get to halftime at 10-10. So if he had said that as part of his explanation, I think that would have been made it – you know, if he had said, look – we're up 10-10. We get the ball to start the third quarter. They've got it at midfield. They're going to punt us into a deep hole. We've moved the football via the run. We're more comfortable moving it with a balanced attack. If i got to go 70 yards for field goal range or 60 yards for field goal range, um, it's going to be a problem. And I'm going to, you know, starting from inside my 10-yard line, inside my 5-yard line, I- I'm... I'm almost sure there's a really good chance we're giving the ball back to the Chiefs in really good field position. That would have been a better answer. But as it turned out, they did get the ball back at the 20. And by the time they took their first snap with 59 seconds left, it was apparent that they were going to run out the clock or try to run out the clock. But the Chiefs had three timeouts. And that's where I would have said to him, look, you know, you either get aggressive and give the ball back potentially. Or you don't get aggressive, but still have to get the ball, uh, g- give the ball back. Like the Chiefs, if they use their timeouts properly, are going to get the ball back. If they get a three and out stop against three runs, what happened was is Moster goes for three yards, Moster goes for two yards. All right, 49ers, t- uh, the, the Chiefs actually should have taken a timeout after the first down. They take a timeout after the second down. There are 19 seconds left or 20 seconds left in the game, and Garoppolo hits Wilson for 20 yards. So Kyle decides, well, I'm not going to run it again and then punt it with 15 seconds left. I'm going to try to get the first down, and then he goes for it with 14 seconds to go, and you get the Kittle offensive pass interference, which I think was called correctly. I It wasn't called consistently with the rest of the game, though. As you said, they were really letting them play, and I thought that one was not egregious. It here's why. It, it, look, it's it's textbook definition OPI. It's the extending of the arm to keep a defender at bay and to create more space to make a catch. You know, first of all, that was Garoppolo's best throw of the game. <laughs> that really yes. was. Um, I you're right that I enjoyed that the game was called in a, in a way in which they let him play primarily. There are only nine penalties in the game. Um, but I thought that was offensive pass interference. And I think if it hadn't been called offensive pass interference, it would have been reviewed for a period of time out of New York. I don't think they would have overturned it because you didn't see the Rudolph play in the Minnesota game overturned, you know, in the in the overtime against the Saints in the playoffs. Well, pass interference doesn't get entered. Uh- get overturned, period. So. Well, it hasn't been, but we would have seen that reviewed and it would have been talked about that it would have been reviewed. But um, I didn't have a problem with the call. I thought the call was right. And then from their own 35-yard line, they take a knee. You know, with six seconds to go, I actually would have chucked it down the field. I mean, from your own 25, maybe not. From your own 35, I would have chucked it down the field. What the hell? Um, anyway, super conservative. I thought that the reward was worth the risk and I think if they had called the timeout on defense and had a minute and 38 to work with, they could have stayed balanced from the 20-yard line. They could have run the football as part of their attack. 
They could have stayed balanced. They had two timeouts left. They could have gone hurry up. The run could have still been a part of it. You couldn't. You didn't have to put it all on Jimmy G. It was, in many ways, though, you know, an indication that he did not feel comfortable with Garoppolo in that spot. Garoppolo had already thrown an interception, a bad one to Bashad Breeland. Um, I didn't like it. I thought it was too conservative in a game like that against that team with that quarterback after what they had done in their two previous playoff games. I would have been thinking about. Let's get three here. Let's get seven to start the second half, and we're up two scores. Um, again, as it turned out, you know, they did get to halftime 10-10. They did score on their first drive. They got a stop on the second with an interception, and they were up 20-10 to into the fourth quarter. So, you know, much, you know, Kyle would have been asked about it at the end of a win, but it wouldn't have been nearly the big deal as it turned out to be. So we moved to the second half, and, you know, Kyle's doing a phenomenal job scheming up offense. I mean, we're going to be critical here uh, of one play in particular, and I've already been critical of Kyle about the end of the half. I, I would have been more aggressive. I sort of would have understood had he said, I'm worried about a punt inside our 10-yard line from that spot on the field and having to travel a much bigger distance and he had thrown an interception earlier and we're better as a balance team and at that point with that field position we're going to have to throw it. I would have felt better about that explanation. It's not really the explanation. He he just wanted to get 10-10 cuz I don't think he trusted his quarterback. And I think he trusted there his I think he was much more concerned about what Mahomes would do with the ball back. Um, which it was a legitimate concern, but at 59 seconds you're still going to potentially give it back to him if you're super conservative. Anyway, you get to the second half, and um, they're moving the football. You know, they're they're they they've got the Chiefs on the ropes, man. You know, that first drive is nine plays, sixty some yards. Then you get the touchdown drive after the interception, and they've got them off balance. They can't figure out if they're coming or going. They're averaging nearly seven yards a carry in the game, and then up twenty to ten, the game moves into the fourth quarter, and you get the deflection off Tyreek Hill and an interception with about twelve minutes to go. And it's feeling like game over at that point. It's feeling like game over. When they took over possession at their own 20 after the interception, Aikman said, you know what they're going to do. They're going to run it right down their throat right now. This is what they want to do. They're going to try to run it right down their throat and end this game. And they ran Mostert, first and 10, uh, up you know for six yards. Second play, they go play action, which was very effective for the 49ers and was a part of why they were up. Play action, Garoppolo, that's where he's effective. You can't drop him back. Not effective. Play action, very effective. Garoppolo hits Kittle for a 12-yard gain. It's first down. Mostert for a yard. And then on second and nine, this is the first play that, other than the end of halftime, but I'm talking about the first play in the fourth quarter, where Kyle gets criticized. Just run it, Kyle. Just run it. Well, there was a run called, and Garoppolo checked to a throw. And he threw incomplete, and that set up third and nine. And then ultimately, after a false start, third and 14. So Kyle did have on second and nine a run called. Now, I would say to you, at 20 to 10, with nine and a half minutes to go, you still got to be thinking, we got to keep getting first downs. We might have to score. We're going to need more points, maybe. It's still the other guy, which we've watched. Our defense has been great, but... I don't want to punt it back to him. So um, 
That second nine, I don't have a problem, especially after finding out that it was a check anyway. But I didn't have a problem at that point anyway with that much time left with a throw on second nine. By the way, on that drive, on the third and 14, Garoppolo gets hit on the sideline on a scramble. You know, that, that they let him play yesterday. That, that gets flagged a lot, that play. That would have been a huge 15-yard penalty. That was unnecessary roughness. Now, it was a hit with him borderline inbounds, but he went flying out of bounds, and we've seen that flagged for a lot less in the NFL. So then, obviously, you get the Kansas City drive for a touchdown. Um, you get the Kansas City drive for a touchdown, which includes the third and 15 play of the game, which we've already talked about. Uh, I think uh, Bose is held uh, on that play, um, but it's a 44-yard comp- uh, completion to Tyreek Hill. You get the uh, interference uh, more on Kelsey, which was absolutely DPI, uh, defensive pass interference. And it's a touchdown, and it's 20-17. to 17. So it's the next drive that you got to look at. And this is the one that you know a lot of people are really picking on Kyle for. And even comparing it to, you know, Super Bowl 51. And I I put out a tweet that was somewhat sarcastic. But also, I was frustrated on that particular drive that that, that he had chosen to throw the ball um, after a five and a half yard run on first down. But let me just make this point. The, the, The calls by Kyle Shanahan in the Super Bowl last night were not anywhere near comparable to what happened in Super Bowl 51. Super Bowl 51, with a 28-20 to lead and under four minutes to go in the game, they've got the ball at the New England 22-yard line. They are in field goal range to essentially end the game. And he dropped Matt Ryan back, and he got sacked for a 12-yard loss. That was not smart. That cost them the Super Bowl. Period. The calls last night, were no, they're not even on the same... They're not on the same level. They're not in the same. They're not on the same planet as the one from Super Bowl Fifty One. But when they got the ball back down uh, up twenty to seventeen, and Mostert on first and ten rips off a run of about five and a half yards, and you're second and call it four and a half, and he drops and he goes play action with Garoppolo, and the ball gets knocked down by Chris Jones at the line of scrimmage. Sorry, Kyle, I love you. You got to run the football there. You've got to run it. You're averaging over six yards per carry in the game. And you now are in a three-point game, and this is what you do better than anything else. I know play action is what you do well, too, with Garoppolo. And I know that it's better to throw it on second and five when they're expecting run than it is on third and five. But why are you expecting third and five? Why aren't you expecting, after a a five-and-a-half-yard first down run, another five-and-a-half-yard run on second down? Move the chains, roll the clock. You've done it all year long. You've run the football even when they've lined up to stop you in running the football. And Garoppolo misses Kittle, uh, has the ball knocked down, and then the third and five, Garoppolo misses a wide-open George Kittle, instead throws to Bourne and airmails it, and they're punting. Kyle on that third and five, I don't like the call in second and five. I'm running the football. But on third and five, he schemes up George Kittle wide open, and Garoppolo doesn't throw it to Kittle. Wide open. Move the chains. Game not over yet, but move the chains out to the 32-yard line, first and 10, and we're under five minutes now in the game. Instead, they punt it, and now Mahomes is on a roll. 
You know, he hits the big one to Watkins for 38 yards. What a beautiful throw that was. And then on third and goal from the five, you know, Damian Williams catches that pass. I don't think there was enough to overturn that call. I don't think there was enough to overturn that call. I think they made the right call on replay to uphold the call in the field, a touchdown, and it's 24-20. to 20. So is it over yet? Not, you're not feeling great, but the 49ers now are moving the football, and they've got a first and 10 at the Kansas City 49-yard line uh, under the two-minute warning. So they're moving in the general direction, and I'm feeling good about it at this point, Aaron, because it's like the last thing I need is you know bang-bang touchdowns in and over. It's 24-20. We're still in good shape with one more touchdown. Uh, Garoppolo's got Sanders wide open on the third and 10 and overthrows him wide open. He's got two to three steps on the closest defender. Could be a touchdown, and Garoppolo misses him. Here's the thing with Garoppolo. Garoppolo is a competitor. I like that about him. He's aggressive. Um, I like that about him. He's inaccurate too much of the time and makes a lot of bad throws. He is a guy that if you get behind down and distance-wise, you're in trouble. You can say that about a lot of quarterbacks, um, but Garoppolo really isn't the guy you put the whole game on. I mean, he's done it here and there. He had great throws at the end of that Rams game. He had great throws in the Seattle game, clutch throws. Um, He is just a guy, in my opinion, a guy that works perfectly in this scheme with a good run game and great play action and a superb offensive designer and play caller in Kyle Shanahan. Uh, This one was not nearly on Kyle like the Super Bowl uh, a few years back um, when they blew the 28-3 lead against the Patriots. And even in that game, it's just one play. It's a big play. But it was the crucial play when they were in field goal range and all they had to do was run it twice and kick a field goal and get the hell out of there. Um... So uh, they had on that last play on that fourth down, you know, another opportunity I think for the referees. Um, that's delay a game. I'm sorry, it's delay a game. That's going to set up a fourth and fifteen, but you got to call the fourth. You got to call that delay a game. That's not the typical. The clock goes to zeros, and we see you know a one beat allowed, and then the play is allowed to, to happen. That was a beat and a half, two beats. From that clock going to two zeros. You got the referee about to blow the whistle, as he should have. He should have blown it dead. Um, uh, also, on that play, uh, Garoppolo false starts. Um, now, fourth and 15 is going to be impossible, but they should have had another play there. Uh, that should have been called. Um, and then Damian Williams gets the big touchdown run with the 49ers still having a chance with their timeouts left, and it's game over. Uh, it was a really good Super Bowl. Really good Super Bowl. You know, I, I thought Mahomes deserved the MVP. I would not have given it to Damian Williams. If they'd given it to Damian Williams, I don't think I would have you know, had a massive problem with it. But Mahomes doing what he did over the final six minutes and 13 seconds, hitting the big one to Tyreek Hill, even though I think a hold should have been called, hitting the, the big one to Watkins, he took some big shots during this game, and it was the worst game of his career for three and a half quarters, and then he did uh, what Mahomes has done, and that is rally his team from double digits down to win the game. He was outstanding uh, at the end. He was. Um, the 49er defense was the story for the first three and a half quarters in Mahomes and <clears throat> to a certain extent Kyle Shanahan and the referees were the story uh, over the final six minutes and 13 seconds. Mahomes was the bigger story though. Uh, I will be clear about that. Um, Garoppolo ultimately in the fourth quarter, three for 11, 36 yards in the pick. 
uh, and not good enough. Uh, and I don't know that the uh, I think they should have run the football more, especially up twenty to seventeen. I mean, a, a team that r- ended up rushing the ball six and a half yards per carry. Um, ran it nine times less than they threw it in the game. And you can say play action worked, and it did throughout, um, but there was a time there, I think, up 20-17 to 17, where they should have run the football. Uh, Nick Bosa, phenomenal. How about Breland and Fuller with the two picks? Um, there's a little bit of, of sort of revisionist history on, on Breland. Uh, most of you didn't care that Breland was gone to, to Green Bay and then ultimately to Kansas City. Fuller... Fuller's more a part of the whole conversation involving the Alex Smith trade, which was obviously uh, uh, prompted by the way they handled uh, Kirk Cousins over that uh, period of time. Uh, Both of them have turned out to be good players in Kansas City, so good for them. I was so happy for Andy Reid. I was rooting for the 49ers, but how can't you be happy uh, with with Andy Reid? Um, the, The reaction, his happiness at the end, and a lot of the, the interviews, and it was just for him, it was a huge, huge monkey off his back. I've made the case before that I think he was Hall of Fame before yesterday. I don't think he needed to win that game. He's now obviously a lock to be in the Hall of Fame, with, by the way, an all time winning playoff record now of 15 and 14. But the 28 playoff games that he'd coached in before were already a reason for me to think that he was a Hall of Famer. Uh, but he, uh, he, etched that in stone uh, yesterday. Uh, good Super Bowl game, Aaron. I mean, good game. Yeah, I mean, really a, mem- a memorable game, you know, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that was missing was that one that one huge moment that we're going to, you know, remember in years to come. That was the one thing. But as a game, oh, it was really entertaining. Uh, the third and 15 was the play of the game. I mean, that's the one they had to have because they're probably not going for a fourth down oh, yeah. unless it's fourth and three. Um and again, it was a big game or a big, big play. I'm just not sure if it's that play that, you know, eight years from now, we're looking back. Oh, remember that one yeah. play. No, it's not one of those. Yeah. <clears throat> it's one of those that you remember for the few days after the Super Bowl. Exactly. Uh, in terms of the prop bet that we were talking about on Friday, the Mahomes rushing yard prop bet. Oh, geez. <laughs> so uh, b- before we get to that, did you bet Mahomes plus 130? Yes, I did. <clears throat> All right, good for you. That was your way of betting the Chiefs. Yes. Um, it worked out. Yep, I, I also bet uh, Mahomes uh, rushing touchdown plus were, 340. Were you, uh, plus 340 on a rushing touchdown? Yep. That's nice. Yep. Were you concerned that it could be Damian Williams? Not really, because we've seen this over and over again, where if a running back is going to win, he has to destroy the quarterback stats. It can't be close. Yeah. Uh, Mahomes on the rushing yard thing that we talked about, that number got as high as 36.5. He was at 44 yards entering Kansas City's final possession. Um, He kneeled on three consecutive plays, losing 15 yards, and that ended up uh, meaning that he went under the rushing yardage total. What I didn't realize, um, even though we talked a lot about it on Friday, I guess most of America, betting America, was voting, uh, was, was talking about it as well because it was the most bet prop on Super Bowl on the Super Bowl it was according to Jeff Davis director of trading for Caesar Sportsbook it was close to a six-figure swing first of all on going from over to under Mm -hmm. Um, it was according to William Hill more money was bet on the over on Mahomes's rushing yards than was bet on any other prop bet uh, 75% of the bets and 68% of the money wagered on prop on that particular prop was on the o- o- on the over. 
Uh, and Sportsbook Points Bet said there was more than twice as much money bet on the over on Mahomes' rushing yards as was bet on the under. Points Bet <clears throat> actually ended up refunding it, I think. I saw that. They're, they're a company that does that a lot. They like the, you know, we're, we're the nice sports book. We're going to give, you know, refunds. I think they also refunded if you bet on uh, the Yankees in 2019 once all this Astros stuff came out. They've refunded all those bets. Wow. Yeah. Um, points bet elected to refund all the bets on the Mahomes over, saying on Twitter, if there's ever been a worse beat on a prop than this one, feel free to let us know. And they, they gave the, they, they called it null and void. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, so, you know what was also funny about um, that last play is you can see Andy Reid after the third kneel down over there telling the referee we're going to take a timeout with one second left on the play clock. <laughs> it's totally unnecessary. Oh, yeah. Like, I, it, look, he's so excited. They're about to win the Super Bowl. The game's over. But most of you who know Andy Reid's history know that if you talk to Philadelphia fans or Chief fans, they'll tell you this is the one area where Andy yes. Reid has been much less than Hall of Fame worthy. And you just let that second, you know, run off and take the five-yard delay game. You've already taken 15 yards in, in losses on kneel downs. What's another five to get down to four seconds so that the last play is definitely the last play? Um, it was just uh, whatever. A um, couple things, and we can turn that music off now on the uh, game take music. Uh so right when the Super Bowl ends, there is always the look ahead to next year odds that get updated after the game. <clears throat> the um the Redskins are the worst have the worst Super Bowl odds for 2020. Now, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago and mm-hmm. you know, after the game, you always see this. When the championship is played, it's always all right, let's look ahead to next year and all the books start to put out all of their odds. So, um the uh the Super Bowl odds for next season the Redskins are 32nd among 32 teams at 150 to one. 200 to one at the Westgate. <laughs> uh, Miami's next at 125 to one. Mm-hmm. The Redskins are the biggest long shot to win the Super Bowl next year. Yeah, 150 to one. That really goes against what a lot of us think, right? That the Redskins are better than their record indicated last year. They've got some talent. They could be in line for a big turnaround with good coaching. Ron Rivera is a good coach. Well. The boys in the desert don't think so. They don't think so at all. They think the Redskins are going to be terrible next year. In fact, their win total for their over-unders already out on sportsbook.com. They've got the lowest win total in the league at five and a half. The Redskins over-under for regular season wins in 2020, five and a half. Uh, I think Cincinnati's at five and a half, and I think that's the only other team that's at five and a half. Uh, ESPN did their power rankings. They're all too early 2020 power rankings. The Redskins are 31st among 32 teams. You know, I don't think the Redskins have a, a playoff roster. I don't. I do think it's a roster that's got a better chance of finishing eight and eight than four and twelve or three and thirteen with with Ron Rivera. But company. what do you think the ceiling is? The realistic, you know, even the, the realistic uh, even ceiling, the unrealistic nine. Ceiling. Yeah, I think uh, you know, and, nine and, and a backdoor wild card thing is the absolute best you you can hope for, right? And and the uh, and I think that's what people forget. They're not necessarily saying the Reds with at least the Super Bowl odds. The Redskins are the absolute worst team. Well, with their over under number, but the the the, the, the win total, yes, yeah. 
Um, I actually hadn't seen the win totals before to, before you just read those out. But the Super Bowl is because these other teams, you know, and, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If you want to say Joe Burrow is in, you know is going to be a superstar, there's a path for Cincinnati. If you want to say Tua or whatever for Miami, if you want to say that da- you know Daniel Jones becomes a superstar, these other lesser teams, you can all of a sudden say, all right, is there a 1% chance that this happens and they go to the Super Bowl? With the Redskins, we're saying, well, best case scenario, they're 9-7. and seven. They're not going to take that huge step I, to the I, Super Bowl. I completely agree with you. I mean, it, it also has to do with conference landscape, you know, as well. But the over-under for their win totals being the worst in the That's league at five and a half surprising. is an indication that they think the Redskins are going to stink next year. They, they think they are legitimately the worst team in the NFL. I think that that's a bit of an exaggeration. I think that we tend, or a lot of uh, people in the fan base, tend to exaggerate how good the roster is. I don't think it's a playoff roster yet. I don't. I think it's got a chance to be coached up to something approaching, you know, eight and eight, nine and seven playoff contention. I do. Because I'm a fan of Ron Rivera, I'm a fan of Jack Del Rio. I think they've been poorly coached for a while now, although Callahan did a nice job down the stretch. Poorly coached on defense for sure. And I think they've got some young talent. You know, uh, it's not, you know, obvious playoff roster talent like some of you believe, but if it gets coached up a little bit, they could be a lot better next year. They could make a significant jump, three wins to eight wins, you know, with a, an outside shot at nine wins in, in contention. Um, but man, uh, Vegas doesn't think so at all. Doesn't think so. They're looking and viewing Washington as a continued mess, uh, and even with the second pick in the draft um, and the possibility of adding Chase Young, doesn't do anything uh, for them. Uh, quick word about mybookie.ag. Super Bowl's over, but you can still, you know, go to mybookie.ag, set up an account, and get an opportunity to bet college basketball, NBA, NHL. Get ready for March Madness, which is always a huge wagering opportunity. MyBookie.ag features a great system that's reliable, fast payouts, quality lines. MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC, and they will absolutely give you a great deal, that deal being to match your deposit halfway. Free cash, all right, uh, on your bets. Kevin DC. Uh, take advantage uh, to sign up now at mybookie.ag. All right, I want to get to Alex Smith. Um, I'm sitting there watching TV Saturday morning. Alex Smith is being interviewed by Jeremy Schapp on Outside the, the Lines. It's part of, I guess, they are doing this show that they're going to air down the road a little bit called Project 11, which basically describes and documents the Alex Smith injury and the comeback attempt from the injury. Um, and that's going to air down the road. But Alex Smith was on with Jeremy Schapp Saturday morning. I just happened to have had the TV on, and I'm sitting down to watch it. And Alex Smith gets into a description of what went on uh, post the initial surgery after he broke his leg now over a year ago against the Houston Texans at FedEx Field um, that was incredibly uh, jarring, um, jaw-dropping. Now, I think we knew that it was a serious situation with the infections and the multiple surgeries. And we even heard that, you know, there was a chance that his leg was in jeopardy. You know, that they could, they may have, he could have lost his leg. I think we've heard that along the way. Listen to Alex Smith describe 
what happened after that initial surgery. Uh, it was quite the ordeal for him and his family. I was supposed to get discharged. Um, the initial surgery went great. Bone was lined up. I had several plates put in my leg and everything looked great. I was getting ready to go home. It was right before Thanksgiving. And uh, that's when um, the initial infection was spotted. This is a few days after the surgery. Sepsis. I went septic. Yeah, it was an um, infection that had gotten into my blood. And at that point, um, I, I don't remember much uh, for, for a few weeks. I had quite a few surgeries um, in a row, um, debridements, uh, trying to get the infection under control. And then uh, next thing I remember is waking up several weeks later faced with the decision of, yeah. of amputation or, or limb salvage at that point. I'm not being melodramatic here when I say at one point it wasn't just your leg that was in jeopardy of being removed. Your, your life was hanging in the balance. Yeah. Um, and, and that wasn't really present for any of that. You know, you, you wake up and, and you hear that. You know, you hear your wife and family and doctors tell you how close you were. You know, having gone septic, I had no idea what that even meant. I didn't know the mortality rate. Uh, didn't know how many people sepsis kills every year, even in hospital care. It's, it's that dangerous. Um, yeah, so and, and very much lucky to be alive. Very lucky to still have my leg. Um, so, yeah, going back to your original question, good to be here. You know? Wow. I mean, listen to him describe that. That's not what we had heard before. We had heard infections, multiple surgeries, the leg maybe had been in danger. Patients with severe sepsis or septic shock have a mortality or death rate of between 40 and 60%, depending on your age. The elderly having the highest mortality rates, younger people having uh, a death rate of roughly 40%. He had a 40 plus percent chance of dying from septic shock and the infection that got into his blood. And then he mentioned that, you know, he learned about that when he was out of it and he came out of it. And then he was faced with uh, limb salvage surgery or amputation. Okay, this is what he was faced with after nearly dying. Limb salvage, which is a surgical procedure that replaces a diseased bone and reconstructs a functional limb by using a metal implant, a bone graft from another person, or a combination of both, or amputation. He chose limb salvage, and it worked. So he has now a limb, a bone, a leg bone, That is a combination of a bone graft from another person and a metal implant. So I'm listening to this and I'm watching this and I'm like, wow. And the thing that I'm thinking about, two things I'm thinking about. One, thank God. Thank God he's alive. Thank God he didn't lose a leg. You know, he's 35 years old. He's got young kids. You know, he's going to be able to live a normal life with that leg in the condition that it's in. He is alive and he, you know, he didn't lose a leg due to amputation. He was faced with that decision, my God, um, but he went with limb salvage surgery and it worked out. Okay, so it worked out. So thank God for his health now. And then I'm also thinking simultaneously, well, there's no chance in hell he's ever going to play football again. Come on. Like, I understand what he wants. 
He wants to get back to that point where he can play football. You know, he's a competitive athlete. He wants to, he's working his ass off to get back to where he's healthy enough to set foot onto a football field and is hoping to get there. I don't know if he ever will, but the process alone is going to get him into a position where 99 out of 100 people wouldn't get in his situation. But no way should he be on a football field again. I mean, the, what he and his family went through, you know, Thanksgiving 2018 through perhaps, you know, early January or into January of 2019, horrific. He doesn't want to go through that again. He's a mobile quarterback that needs to move to be effective. Imagine he's on the field and he takes an ugly, awkward hit on that leg that had limb salvage surgery. Are you kidding me? If it's my organization, I don't want him to play. I want him to get back to the point where he can play or that he you know, is healthy enough. There's the insurance policy that the Redskins took out, and you got to get to the point where he's, you know, makes that effort to get back out on the field to for that insurance policy to pay, you know, and the team will be able to take a cap savings event from that insurance policy, twelve million dollars roughly, or at least that's what's been reported. But I don't want him to play. And then we get into the conversation of Alex Smith, and if he does get himself ready to play. And this is the part that isn't nearly as empathetic. This is a hardcore football conversation among, you know, us, Redskin fans, primarily. He wasn't very good in 2018. Come on. At 34 years old, before this injury, he wasn't a very good quarterback. Now, you can say it wasn't a good fit with Jay Gruden. They didn't have enough weapons. And all of that, to a certain extent, would be true. And maybe Scott Turner's the right fit, and maybe now they got Terry McLaurin and you know and, and some of the receivers, and you know uh, he'll be better off. No, no, they need a quarterback. Come on, he's not playing again. And if he could play, I don't want him to play for his own good, but also he's 36 years old next year at the beginning of the season, off of what he went through. I mean, who thinks he's going to be better than he was in 2018 when he wasn't that good? They got to go get a veteran quarterback, clearly, right? Or I, I mean, I can't be the only person thinking after listening to him, he's never playing again. What he said, and I'm going to read it to you because we don't have the soundbite, is that he said, quote, there's enough there that I can go out there and play knowing that And knowing that failure is a possibility, I at least need to prove that I can come back and play quarterback in the NFL. And if I can do that, that would be great, and it'll get figured out. You know, he understands there are no guarantees, but he's challenging himself to the fullest. This is what he's doing. And part of him, I'm sure, you know, uh, just the uh, getting close to being ready to play football um, is is something that th- this guy's working on and, and will, will satisfy him. I have to think that somewhere deep down he knows that the chance of playing is perhaps greater than the chance uh, – the chance of not playing is greater than the chance of playing. You know, you did hear Mahomes once again give Alex Smith so much credit for being a mentor 
to him in Kansas City, and Dwayne Haskins has already told us that Smith is a mentor to him. So he's going to count $21.4 million against the salary cap in 2020. So he, you know, if he's on the roster with no intention of playing him and they've got another veteran minimum backup guy who becomes the true backup, you know, it's not a bad situation to have him on the roster. I'm not suggesting that he's got to be off the roster. You know, there, there isn't that much of a benefit um, now with essentially $32 million owed to him in dead cap money um, over the next two years, whether it's now or next year. You know, and they've got to get that to, to that point where they can recoup potentially some of that insurance money as well. But anyway, um, bottom line is, after listening to that, so happy that he didn't die. So happy that he has his leg, um, you know, intact uh, for the most part. But there's no chance that I think he's going to play. Um, nor do I think, you know, the Redskins or anybody should want him to play for various reasons. All right, let's bring in Chris Cooley. Did the 49ers blow it yesterday or did the Chiefs win it? <laughs> yeah, it was a combination of both, wasn't it? I. I look at the Chiefs and and you think twenty to ten. You know that they're gonna keep scoring. They have the ability to keep scoring. And I know that you believe in your defense, and you also believe that if you go down on a normal drive in a normal situation and throw the ball a little bit and score one more time, the game is over at that point. But at the same time, I, I think that second down and what five or six, the way they're running the ball and averaging. Uh, like four and a five, six yards a carry or whatever it was. Yeah, that you maybe don't call an RPO right there, and it's almost like a bailout call to call an RPO. It's not, but you have the ability now afterwards to say, well, we call the play that we could have run it. But it, of course, on second and five, they're going to play the run, so they're going to entice you to throw the pass. I don't know. It's one of those things. I, I heard Kyle after two say, well, you know, we got a ball tipped there, and we felt like we had a shot. Well, that's what. That's a possibility when you throw the ball. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I said earlier, this is not comparable to what he did as the offensive coordinator in Super Bowl 51 with the Falcons when they were in field goal range up 28-20 with under four minutes to go. And he dropped, you know, uh, Matt Ryan back and and knocked him out of field goal range. Like that is one where personally the head coach should be somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat culpable as well. The head coach should say, "No, we're not throwing the football here. We are sticking it on the ground, and we're going to kick a field goal and go up eleven against the Patriots in the Super Bowl with, you know, with three minutes to go in the game." I mean, that, it's that simple. This is more. I think this is more nuanced. You know, the second and five that you're talking about, first of all, that's interesting. I did not really read that as an RPO, um, uh, but it may have been. He had he had Debo Samuel wide open uh, in the flat as a choice, but you're right. He also had Kittle wide open. I just think that, first of all, I think that's second and less than five. Mostert got nearly five and a half. And at that point, after the Chiefs had scored to make it 20-17, to 17, you go with what you do best, and they've run it down teams' throats to run out the clock and, and take significant chunks out of the clock and to score. You know, but at the same time, like I know the argument that says, right, Cooley, if you're going to throw, if you think you're going to have to throw on second or third down, throw it on second down when they're not expecting it and they got eight in the box. Uh, yeah, and... The nuance is also that Kansas City is going to play run. It's not the best run situation. But the, 
whole Shanahan philosophy and a lot of what that team is is being able to run the ball when they want to run the ball. And I don't think he blew it. I don't. You didn't complete a, a second six, and then you did. Even if you don't get that, you still do believe as a coach, especially an aggressive coach like Kyle, that you're capable of getting a third and five. So I, I understand where he's coming from, and I understand. Look, we just got to find a way to score one more time, and and we're going to win this ball game. But I also thought, you know, situationally there were a couple plays. The third down on the in the red zone where Moore gets the pass interference on Kelsey. Yeah, that's an awful pi. Hey, come on. You can't just jump into a guy and put your hands up like you're playing basketball and he's shooting. you, you got to turn around and at least make a play. It's third and ten. You know they're going to take a little bit of a shot. Turn and look for the ball. And, and a third and 15, and you're playing cover two, and you don't play cover two very often, and you let Tariq Kill get down the field wide open. I mean, you can put some on the defense as well. Keep in mind, they, they gave up, what, 20? 21 in the last 10 minutes of that ball game? Six and a half, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and I saw that stat that Kyle Shanahan is the offensive play caller in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter is like losing 50 to zero or whatever it is. Yeah. Your defense still gave up all those points. And, and so I do, I do think you give Kansas City some credit for really doing a heck of a job late in the game. Yeah, the um, I think that the uh, – Look, I, I, well, let, let's stick with Kyle here for a moment. The end of the first half, he plays it really too conservatively in in my mind's eye. From this standpoint, most mostly, he had plenty of time to watch what Mahomes was capable of doing, and knowing that nobody could heat up like any like Mahomes could, and you've got a possession at the end of the half and one to start the third quarter, you have a chance actually to go up two scores in this game on two drives, and he I don't think he believed in his quarterback, which is why he didn't take the time out on defense. When someone doesn't take a timeout there on defense. But it is the only thing I can think of in that moment, and they let all that time run off. And you knew as soon as they let it run off that he was essentially going to run the clock out. At least there was that. At least he knew what he was doing. He made a choice. <laughs> Didn't just let the time run off just because. Well, the, you know, the but thing – No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I think there – I'm going to come out. I'm going to at least take the time out. And if you want to call a run play on first down or if you want to make get something where you can at least – Get some yards, but let the clock roll a little bit. I would control it that way as opposed to just let all that time run off. You always got to keep in mind, too, like how many how many times, it's not often, but let's say you call it draw or let's say you have a zone play, a weak side zone play, and Mostert breaks one and all of a sudden it's out to midfield after the first play. Now you have time. I think it's just you got to play to score. You don't lose a possession. You know, it's something that I don't think I mentioned, and I'm just looking through the play-by-play sheet here for the first time, and I forgot about this, and that is, you know, after he doesn't take the timeout and he loses basically, you know, 37 to 40 seconds or whatever of clock, after Mostert's first down run, they snapped the second and seven play with 15, about 14 seconds left on the play clock. Like, so if you're going to make the decision – to get to halftime 10-10, and Kansas City's not going to call a timeout after your first down run. 
why in God's name are you snapping the ball with 14 seconds left on the play clock with, you know, basically 25 seconds left in the quarter? I mean, that created the opportunity for Kansas City to call a timeout, and then he was forced to throw the football, and he got the big play. And then that set up the big one to Kittle that got called back for for offensive pass interference. There's a lot about that end of the half that didn't make a lot of sense. Didn't well, make a lot of sense. You're doing it because you don't. Once you run the thirty seconds off the clock, you do, you don't believe Kansas City is going to get a real possession. You might give them twenty five seconds or twenty seconds. Don't go well, but you believe punting right there, and and in in your defense enough that they're not going to get enough of a possession to score. But I think you believe if you take the timeout minute thirty and you and you try to get a play here or there and you give it back to them with a minute or something, then then you're worried about Mahomes. I just don't. After he let all that time run out, I don't think he was too concerned with Mahomes. What did you think of Garoppolo in the game? I didn't think either quarterback was great in the game, but then you look at Garoppolo's stats, and at one point, he's like 18 to 21. But yet guys make plays, too. I, I remember a throw to Kittle, I think third quarter or later in the game, where he's wincing as he lets that thing go. And Kittle went down and got it for him. Like he just looked a little bit uncomfortable, but he completed such a high percentage of balls that I just I thought there there would have been more shots on the on the 49ers end, especially the way they executed. What do you think of Nick Bosa? He's amazing. Nick Bosa is an absolute monster. God, how, I, I mean, how is he not the? How is he not where well, he is? He's a massive problem for anyone who plays him for the next, what, 10 years at a minimum? If he's healthy? Yeah. He's a game changer. He's a game wrecker. That's what he is. He's a game changer, game wrecker. He's not a guy that can make plays. He's not a guy that you just win with. He changes games per game. He's, he's such a problem. And them being able to just have a four-man rush that ends up looking like a all-out blitz half the time is, is insanity. I thought he was the best player on the field, uh, and it wasn't close. Obviously, what Mahomes did down the stretch, but the 49er defense was six and a half minutes away from being called one of the great defenses of all time. And Bosa's Super Bowl, the, the game that he was having, was, he had 11 pressures in the game. 11 pressures in the game. Um, he, if they hold on and they win and they make a couple of first downs and, you know, they win 20 to 10 or 23 to 17 or whatever, he's the MVP. I thought he was the best player on the field. And obviously, Mahomes, who did not have a good first three and a half quarters, had a great final six minutes. Um, but I, Bosa was, to me, the best player on the field. I think Bosa's undoubtedly the best player on the field, and, and I think there. I mean, if you want to run down the list, there's some there's some big time players out there. Like I think George Kittle in the top three of the best players on the field. We talked about the end of the half. How about that catch he made down there? I mean, the bi. Oh that was God. Garoppolo's best throw of the night. Best throw. And but it, you you did think it was OPI though, didn't you? I'm just blown away that they got the call in real time. You can't question. He fully extended his arm. Yeah, I hate. I hate that call. I, I hate that call. I don't think. I know by the rule. I completely understand the rule, and it is. But I, I just think that he didn't really shove off. I don't know if he truly gained. He was just posting essentially. But more, really, more impressively, the ref that made that call was pretty, pretty incredible to see that in real time. 
Yeah, Aaron made the point. I, I was making the point early in the show. I said that on the third and 15 to Tyreek Hill, uh, Bosa is clearly hooked and held. I mean, it's obvious. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no um, doubt. But they had basically called the game uh, in a way in which they let everybody play. You know, Garoppolo took a big shot on a sideline run. Mm-hmm. He also, on that um, on that fourth and ten, I think on that last drive, or maybe it was the third and five miss where he th- didn't throw to Kittle and threw to Bourne, took a, 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 a hit to the helmet, which would have gotten called all season long in the regular season, but they passed mm-hmm. on flagging it there. And Aaron's point was, you know, you, you made the case that they let him play and you liked that even though you hated the missed call on Bosa, but yet they called the, the penalty on Kittle. And I'm like, that's true. But to me, that was textbook definition offensive pass interference when you extend that arm and you create the space with the extension of the arm. Yeah, I can't argue it with you. I just, I've seen that, you see that not called nine times out of ten. Well, Rudolph in the playoff game against New Orleans in overtime. Exactly. And to your point with some of the calls they don't make, I I was thinking about this as I was watching the game. They don't call the hits to the head. They don't call the hit late. They don't want to call those penalties that they've really started calling in the last five years. The way I understood it, it was that they called those because they want football to look safer, especially for women watching football or moms. Well, the most moms watching football is in that game. (laughs) (laughs) That's the game that all of the moms are watching football. Yeah. So that's the one you'd think you'd get the most calls in that situation. But I did think it was an incredible game. I, I I thought it was a little bit slower than you expected, but when you look back and you you think, man, Andy Reid just didn't open it up. We couldn't. They couldn't get the ball down the field because Nick Bosa had 11 pressures. They could block them. <laughs> I mean, Mahomes went one read to going to get killed. So it was hard for Kansas City to open up. I actually thought Andy Reid did a really good job in the game, looking at their side. Having a very balanced attack, They're, they've been more of a just-gun-spread team, and they had a lot of under-center stuff where they had some good runs. I thought they manipulated their balance and what they did with running the ball better than I've seen them. And, and maybe that's in part because you knew you didn't have time to throw it. But I was impressed with, with Kansas City's uh, their resilience to continue to run the football and continue to stay balanced and not panic and Forced into just taking shots. Yeah, I mean, I at 20-10 to 10 when they had to punt, you know, I didn't think it was over. As much as Bosa and that defense had been dominating the game and they had Mahomes rattled and they had him in trouble on third and 15, you know, I, I thought the 49ers would win, but, you know, it's only 10 points and we've seen them heat up with, you know, 41 consecutive in a playoff game this year. Um, but I... I um, thought Mahomes was terrific down the stretch and he really is um he he's he's different I, I mean I don't want to say crazy different because Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and we've seen so many really good ones in recent years but if you've got this guy upright and healthy for the next 10 years they are going to be back here a few more times he's crazy different and you don't want to say that Russell Wilson isn't as well but he's a step above what, 30 other quarterbacks in this league. Same as Nick Bosa's crazy different. Right. They're just they're just a step above, but when you're a step above the elite and you're the best, it's it's so noticeable. And I thought Mahomes really, I thought he was panicked 
a lot in that game. I think he had a lot of anxiety, and I think he felt a lot of pressure early in that game. Really, finally making the throw to Tariq Hill, I think, changed it. Something sparked there where he just he, he turned it off. He turned off the anxiety, and he just started making plays. But up until that point, he was forcing throws. He was even swing passes. He was throwing in the dirt, missing things. The, the pick he throws, that's a, not a pick that he ever throws in the season. He knows where he wants to go with that ball. So I thought until he made a couple throws late, late in that game, he was he looked rattled a little bit. And I don't think it was because of the 49ers as much as I think it was the big stage. And to your point, he won't feel that again. When they get there again and they continue to do what they're doing, having bounced back and having made plays late in that game, he'll be he'll be so good in the next time he's in that situation. Um, did you hear Troy Aikman referring to RPOs as read options? Yeah, I heard him referring to read options. And did you hear Joe Buck referring to the 49ers run game as the power game? I did. <laughs> Come on. The power game. Um so on, I did. Uh, so I had a, you'll you'll think this is funny, but we were talking about the Forty ers blowing it or not, and I had a buddy of mine who's a football coach text me and say, 49ers are just going to grind it out here. Here comes the run game," and I responded and I said, "No, they're not. It's Kyle. He can't help himself." <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I mean, and it's not that he doesn't love to run the ball. He just likes his play calling balance and the control as a play caller instead of we have to run it, so let's just run it. He won't do that. That's not Kyle. How about their run game, though? I mean, the wrinkles and the the action and the rever- Debo Samuel and on the reverses. How many reverses did Samuel have? Like five. He had three carries for fifty three yards, and then he also had you know one of those sixteen yard runs was actually called a pass reception. It was a tap, you know, oh, behind oh, the line of scrimmage. Pass. That was the, the push pass. The push yeah, pass. the push pass. And, um, yeah. uh, it's just there's so much going on there. It's really, it's really incredible, and that and that's why. Like, look, I, I understand that these games, these high profile games, come with a ton of scrutiny and a ton of criticism, especially you know when you have a, a lead and you. You, you don't you don't finish it, and I think the criticism in Super Bowl Fifty One of of the uh, that was just stupid. That that's called game management. That is score game clock management. You are in chip shot field goal range for an eleven point lead. You run the football twice. You don't drop your quarterback back where a sack or a holding penalty knocks you out of field goal range or potentially does. That was crazy um, because an eleven point lead was game over. Uh, but I don't know. Kyle Shanahan is so good at what he does, and thirty teams in this league would twenty eight anyway would take him right now after yesterday as their head coach. And you know he's he's being skewered today because of the end of the half and some of the play calling in the fourth quarter. But he took a team that was four and twelve to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, who to me is just a guy personally. I like the way he competes. I like the way he competes. I like that he's aggressive, but he took that team to the Super Bowl with great defense and a phenomenal running game. And great play action, too. You know, Garoppolo, like a lot of guys, I mean, Kirk, you would put into this class, is a guy that you know, is, a, is so much better with play action, which is why I think Kyle thought about throwing it on second and five. He's like, I don't know if we can run it. I just don't know why he didn't think they could run it twice for five yards. Well, he's getting skewered because of the Falcons Super Bowl in combination with what happened in that current game. The second and five is, I mean, I would put it, 
in a run situation, like you said. I'm just not surprised. And, you know, you just completely overlook it if it's a quick slant that's completed easy. You don't think twice about, man, should have run up there. Right. But, you know, I just, it, it, what was the exact clock at that moment? Uh, you know, six f- something? About five something at that point. Um, that was uh, 20 to 17. 49ers, uh, sec- first of all, Mostert gets like five and a half on first and it's second and four and a half right. with about five and a half to go from their own 25 yeah, up 20 I mean, to 17. I, I, there's, just, there's just no way I don't run it twice there. And in, in doing that, I'm also saying that, you know, I'm going to take another minute 30, minute 20 off the clock. It's still a two-possession game with Right. No, it's a one percent. It's twenty to seven. Oh yeah. No, that that, that, no. You're yeah. right. No, no. At that point, you're up. Yeah. You got to. You, you got to go score, yeah. or you got to. You got to burn up the rest of the clock. One of the two things, because if you give that ball back to Mahomes in that spot, you're you're going to overtime at best. Overtime at best. Um, what? How about Breland and Fuller, each having a pick in the Super Bowl? I mean, I think Breland's. Had a heck of a year for Kansas City. I, I know he's had a couple up and down moments for them, but I think he's done a heck of a job. And we had, we, it wasn't that Breland wasn't a good player. Breland was good here, uh, and I, I always thought they should have stayed with with Bashad in that year where he was a free agent, knowing that, you know, you probably get him really cheap with the skin graft injury or whatever he had with the four wheeler deal. But I, I liked Bree a lot. And ever, obviously, well, he failed his physical after that thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, remember he went to Carolina and yeah. they were they signed him and he failed a physical there. But right. it, it, you can find a way to keep a guy like that. I don't. I don't remember a big outcry though from Redskin fans losing Bashad Breeland. The Kendall Fuller thing is different because he had had a really good season as a slot corner. He and and, and you know that got wrapped up into obviously the Alex Smith trade and the Kirk Cousins you know not uh, situation and and you know losing Fuller no one was thrilled about. I mean, to be honest, I, I think when I look at what they have exactly on that team right now. The trade that I would make player-wise is I, I would want it, I would have wanted Tyron Matthew, and they signed a safety in free agency. The Redskins did paid more than the Chiefs paid for Matthew. That's the guy that I think is a playmaker, and that's the guy that I think allows you to be so versatile on defense. Right. To me, to me, the the guy I would have wanted on my team out of three of those the most is Matthew, and I promise for eighty million dollars you could add Matthew. Right. Not that I'm, and I don't want to say anything negative about Landon Collins. I personally just think Matthew's more of a playmaker. And with the defensive line that I've been building and have sitting there in, in, on the Redskins roster, I want a playmaker in the secondary. And Matthew, to me, was that guy. Watching that game yesterday and watching Nick Bosa throughout the year, um, if the Redskins evaluate Chase Young anywhere near Bosa or at Bosa's level, or it, Todd McShay has already said Chase Young's better than both of the Bosa's, like, do you really even have to think about this? No, you shouldn't even think about it. It's not. I, I don't even think about it. Nope. Nope. It's not even a thought. So, you, is that how? Have and you, it also gives you the the potential in a year if you don't want to pay one of. If if something comes up where you maybe don't want to pay Allen, and, and or or a year later, no, you're not going to pay Payne. You, you've acquired another guy that's just an elite playmaker. Uh, it's not a question. Is that yeah. how you see Chase Young as an elite player? I think that's how everybody sees Chase Young. 
and beyond that, from what everybody says, the the character aspect of it. And I have actually talked to Urban Meyer personally about Chase Young. The character aspect of this guy is is elite. So you're getting a good dude, and you're getting an unbelievable player. Yeah, I like Chase Young. I don't think it's a question. What? what, what the only, here's the only question, right? Here's the only is, you know, what do you do with the number two pick if Cincinnati were to say, look, Chase Young's the best player in the draft. We're going to follow our rules. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or some, something comes up. I don't know. And, it, and obviously there's other, good, there's other elite players in this draft. It's, you do think about it if you get another two first-rounders in the next year. And I don't know. I don't think about it. It's just not. I love Young. I mean, it's not just watching Bosa. It's watching any of these guys when they've been at their best. It's watching Von Miller three years ago and over the last few years. It's what the position is is so impactful. Um, J Lo or Shakira? Who did you like the most? <laughs> um, I I was uh, mildly surprised by the halftime show, but wildly entertained. I'm not sure I loved it. But I was watching it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you're a red-blooded dude, how weren't you watching that? I don't care if you like the music or the dancing what or anything. Jayla wearing those two women looked great. I mean, they looked awesome. That was fun. <laughs> that was it, it fun. Was fun. It, was fun. <laughs> it was fun. It was pleasant to watch. Um, were there yep. were there any commercials that that stood out to you? There were two early that I loved. Shoot, they were they were both early. I liked the one where um, Aquaman took off his suit. Yeah, Greg or, or somebody mentioned that earlier. I think I I think I completely missed that one. And there was one more about the next commercial break. I should remember. I don't, but it, there was a couple good ones. It was. I thought it was the best run of commercials I've seen in a Super Bowl in a while. Oh, really? Um, you know, one thing I haven't mentioned today, I, I, there were a couple of commercials I liked. I, I don't think I watched all of them. I think, I don't know, I, I, I bet you I'm not that much different than most in that I'll watch intently through like the first quarter. You know, you're waiting for each commercial yeah. break, and then all of a sudden you're you sort of and drinking. And- yeah, then all of a sudden you forget that it's the Super Bowl and it's a commercial break. Up, oh, let's get up and go get something to eat, or let's go to the bathroom or whatever. <laughs> Start looking at you know right. things online. But I liked. Um, I thought that the Winona, uh, which I think was web development you ad, the Winona one. The, yeah, the one that sort of par- you know, sort of uh, parroted yeah, uh, Fargo, which I thought was funny. I thought the Krasinski, John Krasinski, Big Poppy, um, Smot Pock. That was the one, the Boston one. The Boston yeah, one. That yeah, I thought really that, was one. Good. Yeah. that um, was good. That was really good. And uh, I thought the the avocado ad with Molly Ringwald, who, who just. That was a terrible ad. I'm not even going to say anything about her. Uh, That would would be mean. And then the Mr. Peanut thing, Mr. Peanut died a couple weeks ago, and then he came back to life. And we saw that um, at one point. And then you had the Brady Hulu ad, and I thought basically his announcement was, I'm coming back to New England. But no one, everybody just read that as, I'm not retiring. But I sort of thought it was an indication that I'm, when he says, I'm not going anywhere, meaning I'm not leaving New England. What did you think? I, I'll be honest with you. You didn't see it? Just like you. The, the, I saw it, but as the game went on, I was um, my son was watching everyone throw and catch, and he was 
diving and catching balls across the couch and throwing balls to us the whole time. And then my daughter was part of it. <laughs> as we got into the second half, yeah. it was, it's one of those games I'm going to have to rewatch a little bit. But, um, no, it was good, dude. Yeah, because he says, and I'm, re- I, I'm reading it um, based on, because there's a story on ESPN.com that says, Brady says he's not going anywhere in Super Bowl commercial, but it's sort of cryptic. Nobody, everybody's got a different right. view of this. But he says, they say all good things must come to an end. So to my teammates, my family, my fans, you deserve to hear this from me. Um, and then he says... You know, uh, he he says about you know regular TV people are going to Hulu. So so he says so it's time to say goodbye to TV as you know it. But me, I'm not going anywhere. So in saying that to his teammates in particular, to me that's an indication that he's staying in New England. But there was there were stories all weekend long about how the Raiders are going to go hard after him. We'll see. All right, um, I know you got to go. I appreciate the time. Talk to you later. All right, buddy. Take it easy. We'll talk soon. Did you have a busy weekend? Don't worry. We've got you covered. It's time for Weekend DVR. All right. uh, Let's do some things uh, real quickly with Weekend DVR to finish up the show. Um, Georgetown came from 17 down yesterday to get a win that they absolutely had to have. And without Mac McClung. Without Mac McClung. You can't lose that game to St. John's and have much hope, um, really, of getting into the NCAA tournament other than winning the Big East tournament. They've got a huge game against Seton Hall coming up. Um, Good for them. Uh, The Caps lost yesterday at home to Pittsburgh. This is the first of four games with Pittsburgh um, down the stretch. So Pittsburgh's now four points behind the Caps in the Metropolitan. Um, And the Caps, you know, have, again, I mean, there's been some inconsistency here and there. They had the four-game winning streak, which, you know, came um, between, you know, before the the All-Star break and shortly after it. Uh, and then they lost to Nashville. They beat Ottawa earlier uh, in the weekend and then lost to Pittsburgh in a, in a great game on NBC yesterday, Super Bowl Sunday. They got the Caps and Pens out there. Three more with the Pens to really determine, more likely than not, right, um, the Metropolitan Division winner. You know, Columbus is, is playing great. They're, they're, they're 10 points behind. It's Pittsburgh that's really got the chance of catching the Caps um, and keep in mind, with the Bruins over in the Atlantic having a great season, the Caps have basically had the best record all season long, um, but these final 29 games could determine one seed overall versus like a three or a four seed potentially um, in the uh, in the postseason. Not that any of that really matters in the NHL playoffs. Also wanted to get to what Damian Lillard uh, has done. I don't know if anybody's paying attention to this. Probably few of you are. Damian Lillard's last six games are historic in NBA history. He had 61 points against Golden State on January 20th. Also had seven assists in that game. The next game he had 47 and 8 against Dallas. Then he had 50 and 13 assists against Indiana. Then he went for 36 and 11 assists and 10 rebounds, triple-double against Houston. Then he had 48 against the Lakers in that first game in L.A. after Kobe's tragedy. And then 51 on Saturday night against Utah. All right, He becomes the first player, according to Elias Sports Bureau, in NBA history to go for 45 points and 10 assists over a six-game span. First ever in NBA history. 
Carmelo Anthony, who's on his team, said, quote, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. We've seen great basketball. We've seen we've seen guys score the basketball in different fashions. But what he's doing, we haven't seen in a long time, closed quote. Always been a big fan of Damian Lillard. Always have. Um, and he is, it's funny how these guys, they get a little bit older, they get better with time. Basketball really is an old person sport in terms of really figuring out the whole game. He's 29 now, approaching 30 years old, and Damian Lillard is having an unbelievable stretch and some in is playing at some of the highest levels he's ever played at. They're not a playoff team right now. They're making a run for the playoffs in the West. A couple of games behind Memphis for the eighth spot, but I love watching uh, Lillard uh, play. Uh, what else happened over the weekend? Lamar Jackson got the MVP. Cowboys say they may be forced to franchise Dak Prescott. NFL getting closer to a 17-game season reality. Um, and then you had the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, inductees. Making the Hall of Fame, uh, the modern era inductees, Steve Atwater, Isaac Bruce, Steve Hutchinson, Edron James, and Troy Palomalu. Um Hutchinson, you know, seven Pro Bowl selections, five All-Pro selections. Every time I see an offensive lineman go in, I just want to say, where's Joe Jacoby? You know, Isaac Bruce, he's a four-time Pro Bowler. Uh, He has over 1,000 career receptions, over 15,000 career yards, 91 touchdowns during his career. You know, a big part of the greatest show on turf teams that took the league by storm, you know, with Kurt Warner in 99 and into the early 2000s. Um, I'm sorry. I, you know, without doing all of the numbers, I don't look at the numbers to start off. I say, does he strike me as a, a as an all-time Hall of Fame type of player? Isaac Bruce doesn't for me. You know, he doesn't. I mean, I... It's nice that he's in the Hall of Fame. Good for him. But he's not a Hall of Famer in my view. Where is he on all the uh, – I'm going to go look it up now. I, I didn't even do it before this. I'm just reading through the list, and that's my first reaction to Isaac Bruce. And it took him a while to get in. So obviously this wasn't a slam dunk. But in receiving – Isaac Bruce is fifth the career receiving yards. Yeah. Let me just... Everyone ahead of him or will be a Hall of Famer, and you know you have Tim Brown behind him, you have Marvin Harrison behind him in the Hall of Fame, Chris Carter behind him in the Hall of Fame. You got him receiving yards there. Where is he on receptions? He's 13th on the receptions list. Okay, he's 13th. He's behind Steve Smith. He's behind Andre Johnson. He's behind Reggie Wayne. He's behind Anquan Bolden. Um, talking about guys that at this po- this point are not in the Hall of Fame. Okay, Heinz Ward's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Steve Smith Sr., Andre Johnson. Yeah. Steve Smith, I think. We'll I think get maybe. There. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but Isaac Bruce, 13th on that list all time. I know where Monk is on the list. He's 940th. <laughs> I know where he is. Um, and where did you say he was rece- receiving yards? Fifth. He's fifth all time on receiving yards. Yep. Fifth, there he is, and everybody basically. Larry Fitzgerald's a Hall of Famer, so everyone ahead of him. Yeah, Larry Fitzgerald's ahead of him. He's second behind Rice, Terrell Owens is third, Randy Moss fourth, and there's Isaac Bruce. You know that's impressive. I yeah. mean, on great teams, on teams that threw the hell out of the football. I don't know. I, at first, first blush, you ask me, is Isaac Bruce a Hall of Famer? I say no, but he's in. Uh, Steve Hutchinson in, Edron James. In 
Um, Troy Palomalo was a lock uh, out of all these guys. Um, and to be honest with you, in some ways, I'm, I'm uh, Steve Atwer- Atwater in his day was one hard-hitting safety, man. He was a big-time hitter. He was a really good safety. I guess I'm sort of surprised that Atwater isn't already in. Uh, I th- uh, when I think of Atwater, I actually think of sort of a Hall of Fame There player, was a bit of a backlog with safeties that started to free up over the past few years. Right. All right. Um, that's it for the for the day. I don't think I missed anything else from this weekend. Uh, Vernon uh, Davis retired. Vernon Davis retired. We nearly forgot that, but Aaron saved us there at the bell. Uh, he retired in a pregame uh, Super Bowl pregame show video with Gronk. Um, that's that's one way to retire. It's a great way to retire. I love Vernon Davis. Uh, I thought he was a very good signing, as it turned out. You know, he had a lot more football in him, uh, as it turned out, uh, than I think some people thought. Uh, had a really good career. He's thirty six years old, or he's going to be thirty six years old. Um, what a physical freak of an athlete Vernon Davis was. Going back to when we remember him playing college uh, football um, at Maryland where he would take guys with one arm and throw them basically towards the sidelines running with the ball in the other hand. Uh, Loved Vernon Davis here. I do think that that means that Greg Olson is a lock to be signed here. I think Greg Olson's going to be signed to play for the Redskins. All right, that's it. Enjoy the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.